Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Welcome, everybody, to the ever-evolving truth. It is the part two of our rape culture trinity, and it is the ladies of teat again. Um, my name is Leah, and with me is Abby Sterner and Courtney Kobe. How are we, ladies? We're good. Good. So, Abby, this is your baby, and... Like the last week, I am going to have you just take it over and tell everyone what we did last week mm-hmm. and um, what they are going to hear this week. Yeah, great. Th- thank you. Um, so if you didn't get a chance to tune in last week, uh, we did an overview of the idea of rape culture, what it means, all the other smaller things that it encompasses. Um, you know, we talked about victims knowing their abusers and their rapists. We talked about um, the fallout that can happen uh, when you do accuse someone of rape and abuse. Uh, We definitely spent a lot of time talking about the merits and problems in the Me Too movement. Uh, We talked about Harvey Weinstein and Danny Masterson and the Brock Turner case. Uh, And also uh, we talked about Aziz Ansari and his accuser. Uh, And then we had a really good conversation about what consent means, what it looks like, and some of the misconceptions that people have about it. 
Um, so if any of that sounds interesting to you and you haven't had a chance to listen to last week's episode, I definitely recommend going back and giving that one a shot. Um, tonight, I don't know that I want to say this is going to be a lighter conversation, but we are going to be talking about rape, rape and rape culture in media, specifically uh, shows and movies and the ways in which it's portrayed in a positive way where you can have a good conversation around it uh, and also ways in which uh, people choose to glamorize it and make it sexy uh, and the problems with that. So uh, the first thing I think that we wanted to dive into is one of Leah's favorite things to talk about, uh, which is Game of Thrones. Although interestingly enough, Leah, we're going to talk about the problems you have with Game of Thrones. Yes, we are. Which we're gonna, yeah. I feel like I feel like there aren't too many of them, but um, yeah, let's let's dive in. Yeah, it's almost perfect, except for all the the rapey stuff in it. I mean, let's yeah. call it what it is. It, 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 it's a little icky sometimes. It's yeah, it's definitely hard to watch. I remember you and I had talked about the scene, which I think I think it's one of. There's so many horrible scenes in that show, like hard to watch mm -hmm. scenes. Mm -hmm. But the one after um, Joffrey dies and mm -hmm. Jamie forces himself on Cersei mm -hmm. at the base of their their son's uh, corpse while it's yeah. laying there on display in the church. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. What what are your thoughts on that? So as a, I, I, I read the books also and in there, it's very different in the show. Um, when I saw it, I was appalled. That's that's the best way to put it. And not because of necessarily what was happening there. It was what wasn't happening there. So it's all basically the same in the books, except it's a violent rape of mm -hmm. Cersei. Um, and it's it's very different. Jamie, you know, takes her. It's, it's hatred. It's not this grab on and and she's like when she leans back and she grabs on to the it's like a piece of his it's, yeah it's like the shroud i think the shroud yeah. yeah and she pulls on it it's one of those like sexy sex scenes where like like from titanic where she puts her hand on the window and yes and it's it's one of those we're gonna take these two beautiful people and even in a horrible scene we're going to make it look sexy. Mm -hmm. And it, it, it's not like that in the book. In the book, it's, it's, you know, she's taken and you feel the rape a little. You feel for Cersei. Mm -hmm. I didn't. And I thought that was important. Um, yeah. Didn't you feel like when they did it in the show? I'm, I'm not going to say I necessarily felt it. this way. Not only does she want it, but the audience feels like she deserves it. Yes. Like absolutely. he he says to her in the scene, like you're a hateful woman. Woman, why did God make me love such a hateful woman? Yeah. Mm -hmm. So it's yeah. like, yeah, it's yeah, it's icky to steal your word. Yeah, it's icky. And you know, to add the whole incestuous part of it, um, makes it triply icky, but it also makes it kind of sexy in a way. There's there's a because of the taboo. Yeah, yeah, the forbiddenness. And I I just think that is so dangerous for people to see because it's like it, 
I don't know. It, it kind of, may, if you're in that type of situation where it is um, like a spousal rape because they were a couple, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that maybe like you're going to let him take you because you feel it's a little like that's what you're supposed to do. That's what it feels like for me. Yeah. And it, there's it, um so many, I, there are a lot of women, uh, there's, there's statistics about it that a lot of women have like rape fantasies. Yeah. Uh, and there's something, there is something sexy about letting, not, not having a man mm-hmm. force himself on you, but like letting him, right. um, there's, there's just a very primal, mm-hmm. um, sexual urge for that. that and that, that I get that, that too, yeah. but I feel like in that scene, that's how they portrayed it where yeah. it's like they're they're a couple they have an established sexual history um there were other scenes in the show prior to that where they were engaging and they really made it seem like you know she's being aloof she's being hateful she's being dismissive yeah. of Jamie but what she really wants mm-hmm. is for him to force himself on her yeah. Like that's what she wants and that's what she needs. And they really oh. glamorized it and made it sexy. Uh, whereas as you were saying in the book, it, it's, it was a rape. It was, it was hateful mm-hmm. and it was violent and aggressive mm-hmm. and it's depicted in a way that like Cersei was violated. It is. And I think it's interesting. I think it says something about the media in general when you take a show because at that point they had followed the books almost verbatim, mm-hmm. right? But to take such an important scene like that and to twist it the way that they did and to have so many people not complain about it. Mm-hmm. Like it was a minor thing where for me in the book, that was a major scene. Yeah. For me. It was major. Mm-hmm. So, to, but because it's this, it's like allowed, like it's okay for us to switch this. It, it's not a major scene. I just feel like, I don't know if it were a scene where two men are killing each other and they do it wrong. That's not okay. Do you understand what I mean there? Yeah. Yeah, no, I do. And I, you know, we we talked a lot last episode about how blurry the, the lines are with consent. Mm-hmm. Like we all understand that no means no. Um, but this is kind of perpetuating that idea where it's like, well, does no really mean no? Right. Or does she want to be ravaged, you know? And she says, no, Jamie, no, she says Mm -hmm. it and it's ignored. It's not a big thing. Yeah. Well, so speaking of, um, scenes in that show where they drastically altered them from what was in the books, I know there, there was at least some outrage, uh, when they had the scene where Ramsey raped Sansa on their wedding night, mm-hmm. which was not in the books at all. Right. Um, so I'm very interested to get your take on that one. Well, I was really happy about them, about the uproar about that. because, And I think the difference there, too, is probably that Cersei was a bad person. Sansa was a good young girl, mm-hmm. probably. But who knows? Um, but in the books... Ramsey never meets her. And when they change that story to, he also does marry someone and um, 
does not rape her. I mean, he's not nice to her. He's not kind mm-hmm. to her. Um, but there's no big rape scene. And the problem with that scene, I think, is it didn't forward the story at all. So you just felt like it was gratuitous. It was so Um, gratuitous. It was an excuse to get this character naked, I think. Like, to get some, you know, feedback. Like, like, let's get people to talk about the show again. So let's rape Sansa. Like, it almost felt that way a little bit. I, I understand that. I didn't fully understand why people were so upset about it. Only because, unlike the Cersei and Jamie scene... I felt like they really did do a good job of showing how violated Sansa was. They did. Uh, There was no glamorizing it. Uh, Mm -hmm. It was very clearly like a brutal, cruel, Mm -hmm. destructive act. Um, And she gets to talk about it too afterwards. She gets to say like, I can still feel it in, mm -hmm. you know, and not in my little soul, like on my, Yes. Like I can still feel it in my body. Yeah. Um, Which was huge for a character like that and very different from the books. But that's something I really enjoyed because I think it was a it was a change where it wasn't like you said, like like making it glamorous. The rape Mm -hmm. wasn't like that. It was showing it what it was like and that she gets strength. Yeah. Um, So I think that might have been a good depiction of rape if that's possible. I I hear what you're saying, though, because it's like they lay so much groundwork in the rest mm-hmm. of the entire series, all the all the scenes that have Ramsey in it, where mm-hmm. he is just this cruel, sociopathic mm-hmm. monster. Yeah. And that's mm-hmm. that's not even doing it justice. He's like the worst of the worst. Yeah. Uh, and then also throughout the entire series, Sansa is just like this poor victim like she gets it worse than pretty much anybody else Mm -hmm. so it is kind of like why why did that need to be included it didn't really do much more to advance either of the characters stories other than about it i think would have been enough the scenes where Mm -hmm. she's laying in a bed and you get it Mm -hmm. and she could have talked about it i think that to actually show it the way they did um, and they show it from Theon's eyes, which is even kind of weird and ickier. You don't yeah. really see her get raped all that much, but hear it. And, um, it just, you don't need that. I don't think, I think it, again, it was a chance to make it sexy a little. I, yeah. I feel like the question is like, even though they, they clearly made it like a, a disturbing rape scene, um, were was it included was it included for like good reasons or was it included to kind of like fetishize it yeah mm-hmm. and that was kind of how i felt about it that was the one aspect that i found to be mm-hmm. problematic yeah i agree yeah. with that i yeah. definitely agree with that um and then there was another show that you had uh, recommended, and I, I have seen it, Courtney. I don't know if you've seen it or not, um, but it's The White Princess, mm-hmm. which is in the, it's a it's a whole series about the Tudors that's, you know, historical, historical. fiction, yeah. mo- mostly fiction. Yeah, very little <laughs> history. Yeah. Um, but yeah, did you want to talk about that one scene that you had brought up that really bothered you? It, it does really bother me, and, and 
to preface this, like Abby said, it is, I get that it's fiction. I get it. It's not, it's not real, but um, I'm kind of a, a Tudor's nerd too. So <laughs> I kind of obsessive with them. And to the little bit of history, you know, about these characters, like Henry the, the, the seventh and his wife, Elizabeth of York, they actually fell in love and they had this beautiful romance, right? Um, and they they were promised and they were from different families and blah, blah, blah. Not important. But they actually do fall in love and they do so in the show. Mm -hmm. But their very first encounter, he invites her to dinner and then he they have this banter back and forth where basically they accuse her of, of sleeping with her uncle which again, Game of Thrones fever, trying to mm -hmm. throw that into history. And then he takes her in the room and says, you know, I'm not going to marry you until I know you can have a child. And it's all very like back and forth about like, I'm not going to, it's it's like a power struggle. And then she sits down and opens up her skirt and says, let's get it over then. And then he, you know, does his thing and, and the camera focuses in on her and she's crying. Um, she, she gets like the dead eyes. Yeah. Like, yeah. The, yes. And then um, when, the, when it's over, she says, you know, I hardly knew you were in there or something, mm -hmm. which, which uh, come on, who's saying that in like the 1400s, but I digress. <laughs> and then, and then um, he's like, well, I was thinking about your sister, Cecily. And it, mm -hmm. they, the whole scene is just horrible. And then she goes back to her house with her mother and her mother's like, did he force you? And she, cause she's crying. She like jumps in the bed and she's crying and she's like, did he force you? And she's like, no, he hasn't beaten me or we haven't won. Or, and I just felt like it was such a stretch from the truth of history that you shouldn't have even been able to use their names. But that aside, when you watch the rest of the series and you see how deeply in love these two people fall, it's like perpetuating that, well, he raped me, but that's okay. I'm gonna, gonna fall in love with him and marry him anyway. Right. Why are we making that an okay thing? I, I don't understand mm -hmm. it. It's kind of... Now, it's way more extreme, but it's kind of like that Beauty and the Beast storyline. Yes. Where like, like, you know, one, we're talking about somebody being captured and imprisoned and then falling in love, you know, the whole Stockholm Syndrome thing. Yes. But it's the same thing, like someone who insults you, violates you, uh, you know, treats you like you're basically just a womb for them to use mm -hmm. uh, that somehow you're going to come around and fall deeply in love with each other. Yeah. And like live happily ever after. No. Yeah. And just, just by giving birth, like the whole storyline I can rant about for hours, but just that one specific mm -hmm. part just is, is so icky. And what really makes me mad is that there's a lot of like women showrunners that are writing this bullshit. And mm -hmm. I don't understand why that's, it's just, it's horrible. It's so bad, I think. I, I think the thing that bothers me the most about it is there are women in relationships like that 
who would watch those kinds of scenes play out and think like, well, but look how it turned out. They came around, they fell in love, they, they grew together. Yeah. So like, it's, it's fine. And it's like, if you ever are in an encounter like that, and you have a relationship that has that foundation, yeah, it's not going to end with a fairy tale ending. It's no. domestic abuse. Mm -hmm. uh, it's toxic. And I feel like the messaging is just like so irresponsible. Yes. So irresponsible. And I, and I, I, I agree with you, like sleeping beauty too. Like that's another one. Like we start showing kids this, you know, at such a young age, girls, like, you know, it's okay if he kisses you when you're asleep, you wake up and become a princess, you know, but then we, we keep it going. And we keep creating these shows and it, it, I just don't think it's sexy. I think it's dangerous and I, it has to stop somewhere and mm -hmm. it's show after show. I mean, I can't. It's, and it's such an antiquated trope. Like you, you see mm -hmm. things like this and I'm surprised. Yeah. I'm surprised that shows are still including storylines like that. It's the same kind of mentality of like, you know, telling, telling a young girl like, oh, that boy is just being mean to you and bullying you because he really likes you. Yes. And it's like, no, no, no that's not how it no. works. It's like, <laughs> he's just a bully. Yeah. And I feel like when you lay that kind of groundwork, it's all subliminal. You're not explicitly telling anyone that like, this is good and this is okay. And this is the way things are. But when you're getting these little messages like this in TV shows and movies, and, you know, even from things that like little harmless uh, things from your parents, like, you know, oh yeah, boys just like to tease when they like you. Yeah. You're conditioning people to think that this is okay and good and you know, this, this is what you should want. It's all going to turn out okay in the end. And to allow it if you're uncomfortable. If it doesn't yes. feel good, let it keep happening. Like, yes. that's not okay. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it's incredibly problematic. And yeah, as I said, they've been doing these storylines for so long that it's like, why are we still, why are we still doing this? Why are we still pretending this is good and sexy and, uh, Right. Speaking, speaking it. of, speaking of <laughs> incredibly problematic shows, uh, Courtney, I know that you wanted to touch on the Netflix show, You. Oh my gosh, yeah. Which, uh, that's, that's kind of a hot show right now. Um, I watched, yeah. there's two seasons out, right? Yeah, and they're getting ready apparently to come out to with the season third one. three. Yeah. So, I mean, I'll, I'll admit that I found the show to be really entertaining. Mm -hmm. um, but... Yeah, there there are definitely a lot of problems with it. Oh yeah, I mean, the first time I watched it, I, I'll agree with you. I I found it entertaining. I couldn't not binge it, and then rewatching it now, just to kind of get the feel for the show again and and see what things I found to be the most problematic. Which honestly, there's just a whole laundry list of things, but it's really really creepy. Mm -hmm. It's really creepy. I I felt like it was the creepy, abusive stalker version of Dexter. Okay, so I haven't seen it. Can so, we, what is the right. premise of the show? 
the premise of this show, uh, there's this guy, um, he go, his name is Joe, and he works in a bookstore, comes across this woman who he finds extremely beautiful. And at first you think it's just this guy who has a crush on a girl and it quickly turns into he obsesses over her. He follows her around the city. He, um, you know, hacks her phone. <clears throat> breaks into our apartment and eventually like towards the end of season one ends up murdering multiple people because he's so in love with this woman. And you find out that this isn't the first time that he's created an obsession over a woman. And it's, it's just creepy. I mean, they end up dating. He dates this woman, but it's oh on my like, God. yes. So Oh my god! So, so basically, he, he like he like saves her from like, she in. she's drunk and she falls down on these train tracks and he saves her from dying by being pummeled by the train, and then they like start dating each other because he's this different person who's not like anybody she's ever dated, and her whole her best friend the entire time sees weird red flags going on and mm -hmm. tries to warn her friend about it and she doesn't listen to her and it, now it's you know then season two it goes into where he finds somebody who is exactly like him who's a psychopath just in a woman form and he it doesn't find out to, he doesn't no, it, find it out is. like until what like halfway through season two yeah yeah but, but she so, is exactly the same way as he is and like doesn't he and then, and then like the tables are him, yeah she did to him what he did to Beck in season one. Yes. So it's yeah. totally Dexter, just without as much murder. Yes. Like, yeah, yeah, and it's, he's not like good. killing criminals. He's killing people. He just thinks that's harmful to one individual, which is oh, the person okay. that he loves. Yeah, and it's okay. it's that idea where it's like he is so uh, he he get he finds his target, mm -hmm. and uh -huh. he becomes so obsessed with them that he knows literally like every aspect of their life down mm -hmm. to like what brand of toothpaste they're they they buy like crazy obsessive stalker uh and he is so convinced that he knows what's best for this person that when other people in their life try to interfere in any way uh he feels completely justified in removing them from the situation um and so the thing the show is really entertaining but the thing with dexter was they they framed the show in a way where it's like, yes, Dexter is a serial killer. Uh, he gruesomely murders people, but they're bad guys. Yeah. So, like, you're rooting for him. He was an anti-hero. Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of how they frame this show, too. Yeah. Where Joe is, like, this young, super handsome, super charismatic guy. Like, who, socially awkward when it comes to girls. Yes. So, like... He's kind Dexter. of like that, like the puppy dog eyes and like, oh, he's so he's so awkward and cute. Um, but it's like he's this dangerous, crazy Sociopath. stalker. Yeah. yeah. And they frame it in a way that like you're rooting for him, mm -hmm. which is really it's really disturbing. Really? Like you're sitting oh, there, you're sitting there knowing how crazy this guy is, but you're like on his side. Mm -hmm. And it's mm -hmm. you like, as you, if you're sitting there like thinking about 
what you're watching and how you're feeling while you're watching it, you're like, this is really fucked up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there was, there was one scene that I was going to bring up because it just kind of maybe reminded me a little bit of what we were talking about last week with, um, you know, the hashtag me too movement, Harvey Weinstein, and just men in power ab- abusing their power in uh, situations. Um, like for an example, I think it might've been the first or second episode of season one where Beck, the main female character meets with her one professor that she works with. She's like a TA for, and he takes her out to, they meet for dinner because he's supposedly going to be mentoring her on her thesis and he makes a pass at her and she, she freaks out. He tells her that her TA position has been removed because she didn't, basically she didn't accept his pass. And so she lost, she was going to lose her job. Mm-hmm. So the only way that she was able to figure out how to resolve the situation was by blackmailing him because she found out that at least four or five other students had the exact same or similar encounters with that exact professor. And when I saw that, I was so, I was completely disgusted. You know, here's this woman who's just standing up for herself, doing what's right. Here's a disgusting man who decided he wanted to put his hands on her when she said no, she gets punished. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and that's a realistic thing. That That's something that does probably go on in our country. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I want to get into this when we have the guys on the panel, but Greg, oh, yeah. had, Greg had listened to the episode that we did last week and we had a really interesting conversation. Um, I cannot wait to talk to the guys because after talking wait. to Greg, I was like, like he was hearing things that he was like, really you guys really feel that way and one of the things we talked about was how uh, a lot of women are willing to allow uh, sexual situations to go forward mm-hmm. even if they're not comfortable with it just so that they don't have to deal with the prospect of being forced into the situation or being hurt in in some way or hurting uh, them mm-hmm. yes mm-hmm. yeah uh, and you know, he was, he was surprised to hear that. And that kind of stuff happens all the time. You know, when you have somebody either in a position of physical power, you know, someone who's stronger than you or power, like you're talking about in the show where, you know, he's a professor and she's the, the TA, um, you really do have to walk a line between, mm-hmm. am I going to stand my ground and do what I'm comfortable with? Or am I going to do something that makes me uncomfortable because it is the path of least resistance? Mm-hmm. And men who wield that power in in a in a bad way, uh, you know, they're they're a big part of this whole rape culture that we have. Mm-hmm. But on that note, uh, we do have to take a break. And when we come back, uh, we're going to talk about some shows that have more of a positive, uh, a positive message about the the damage of rape and abuse, um, and the interesting conversations that they bring up. So, mm-hmm. we will be back shortly after some commercials. 
Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry. Sorry. We're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No. Lucky Land Casino. With cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome back to the ever-evolving truth. Um, we are here talking about rape culture, specifically in the media this week. Um, and we're going to talk about a couple shows um, in this segment I believe 13 Reasons Why um, is going to be our first one, which Courtney's going to cover. And the second is Unbelievable, um, which is a show I haven't seen. So, um, Courtney, do you want to kick off 13 Reasons Why and tell us, like, what is the basic premise of the show and then your high-level thoughts on it? Um, So 13 Reasons Why is a season one at least is a show where a woman or a girl named Hannah is introduced to us and she creates these uh, tapes with the 13 reasons why as to why she decided to end her life and it goes over a combination of bullying um, rape slut shaming and there was even like um, wasn't there something with pictures with the pictures and um like, so basically like sexual people. blackmail too. Yeah, sexual yes. blackmail, outing people who aren't out of mm-hmm, the closet. Mm-hmm. And I, it's been a while since I saw season one, but I can't remember if Hannah ever. I don't think Hannah actually tried to report her rape. Just, just to the school counselor. She didn't go right. to the police. Um, but yeah, that was like the was, last. That was, was her like last attempt. Show. And yeah. it was like kind of brushed off almost mm-hmm. in a way, not intentionally. I do think that if I remember correctly, that guidance counselor still wanted to talk to Hannah about it a little bit more, but mm-hmm. Hannah, I don't think was ready to, and mm-hmm. she had just gotten to a point of, I don't think that there's anything left that I'm going to be able to do in order to not feel this pain that I feel from everything that I've encountered over the last couple of months and she decided to end her life Mm -hmm. and um i this kind of goes back to when we were talking about you you know i really enjoyed this show mostly because 
of how they talked about anything and everything that at the time that this show came out, mm-hmm. it was almost like it was at a time where there was still a stigma around talking about rape, mental health issues, suicide. Mm-hmm. Especially with teenagers. Exactly. Yes. And the fact that they, I don't know that they necessarily glorified it. I think that a lot of people who watch the show ended up glorifying the message Specifically um, with suicide. Right? Yes, yeah. yes. And they had yeah. to end up, I know with other with uh, the other seasons they ended up doing, they had to put more disclaimers on the show just mm-hmm. because there was a lot of backlash that they got mm-hmm. for not putting enough trigger warnings on the show. Yeah. Um, I think they did a really good job at giving us an idea as to what things could go on in a high school. Um, I don't know how all realistic if it's like if it's all realistic i think it depends on your high school experience um i graduated from high school in 2000 and that was my high school like it was that's interesting that was my life i was gonna actually ask which female you guys related to the most like was Uh, there was there one that you could actually be like that was me in high school i did that because you know what I mean? Like I was that girl. I don't I don't know if I felt like I related to any of them personally. I was kind of like under the radar band geek, art nerd, like mm-hmm. uh a AP student. I was just like doing doing homework and I mean like the 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 issues. Like did you not feel that fucked up when you were that young? Did you not constantly feel that? Because I'm wondering, was it the party kids or did every team feel that way? That, that was the interesting thing about the show. So to go, to go back to what you said just a minute ago, where you, like you felt like that was an accurate representation of your high school experience. Mm -hmm. I felt like for me, there were aspects of it that I was like, yeah, that feels real. I remember things like that happening. Um, But because it was a fictional show, I I did feel like they dialed it up a little bit to make it more, more extreme, more entertaining. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, And I did kind of feel like, they're, like I think all those things happen in high schools, but I was kind of like, I don't think all those things happen in the same high school. Mm-hmm. Or to the same person. Yeah. Well, that, oh God, I was crying uh-huh. like through the entire first season <clears throat> because Hannah, who's the main character, it's just one horrible thing after the next, um, which, you know, the straw that breaks the camel's back is her eventually getting raped. And that scene is just heartbreaking. It was, it was the same, it was the same kind of thing when we were talking about the white princess, Mm -hmm. where you can kind of see the eyes glaze over and her just get that dead eyed look. Mm -hmm. Um, But in this scene, I thought they did it. It was so definitely. much better. It was so real that like I like I got nauseous by it. Like the, Me there's, too. A part, there's a part where she where they focus on her grabbing yes. onto the hot tub. Yes, where she's her like bracing hand. herself. And then when she you can see her just give up and give in and the hands go dead too. A whole mm-hmm. body just gives. That that scene is hard. Yeah. 
Yeah. It's really hard to watch. There's a lot of hard scenes. And even though Hannah's the main character, I feel like the main storyline I wanted to talk about was her friend. And why am I... Jessica, Jessica, thank you. I'm like, I'm drawing a blank on everyone's name right now. Um, her she, story. Oh, my God. That was. She was the one I related to the most. Yes. Mm-hmm. I, I understand why. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, for anyone who hasn't seen the show, uh, Jessica ends up going to a party. And just a side note, you're, you're right. There was a lot of that high school party culture. Mm-hmm. in the show and yeah. I feel like that's where a lot of the problematic stuff came in it is. Um, and you know we were uh-huh. talking to Greg on the break about the dangers of alcohol and how it just inhibits everyone's judgment mm-hmm. and nothing good comes out of it especially when you have teenagers with you know not fully developed brains who already aren't going to make good decisions um, but so this care around drugs too, like it's exactly. not just alcohol. It's exactly. Any, anything that alters your state of mind is going to lead to problems, especially when you have a bunch of hormonal, mm-hmm. horny teenagers who make horrible decisions. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, God, the scene with Jessica, um, where they're at a party and she has way too much to drink. Mm-hmm. And she goes up to the bedroom with her boy, boyfriend. her then boyfriend at the time. And the boyfriend, you know, they start to engage like they're going to have sex. And she's like barely conscious. He can tell she's barely conscious. And even though before they went upstairs, it was very clear that she wanted to have sex with him. Mm-hmm. Once they got up there and he saw that like, you know, she's barely able to keep her eyes open. Uh, he knew that it wasn't right. Mm-hmm. So he left and was going to let her sleep up there. And then the guy in the show who ends up being Hannah's rapist too, comes into the room and takes advantage of her while she's passed out on the bed. And that also was just. And the boyfriend likes him. The, boy, that's the a boyfriend knew. Yeah. Yes. I, he, he, tried, he, he tried. He claimed that he tried as hard as he could, but he could have tried harder to stop. And, re- and remained, remained to be friends with him after it happened. And, and lied just, to his girlfriend, never told her that it happened because she didn't have any recollection mm-hmm. until she had like a PTSD episode and had a flashback of it happening. And then she confronted her boyfriend and yeah. he was like, Oh shit. Yeah. That did happen. This is all important because once she finds out that he pretty much was her accomplice to rape two seasons later, they end up back in the relationship. Just remember that that's icky. And that bothered me. Yeah. That bothered me too. Mm -hmm. Um, There's so there's a couple things about that storyline that I think are really important. One is that they have this setup where her boyfriend is the good guy. Yes. You know, he sees what state she's in. He knows that it's inappropriate for him to proceed. Um, and you feel like you feel like he's the good guy because he leaves the situation to let her just sleep it off. Mm-hmm. But then, you know, the bad guy, the rapist comes in uh, and it's very clear that he is the villain of the show. Uh, but there's something to be said about 
you know, en enabling the behavior. The bro the bros club, of, especially of sports. Yeah, but it, it was clubs. like, it was so nuanced though, because the, the boyfriend, Justin, he is mm -hmm. like crushed by this. Mm -hmm. And you can see how traumatic it is for him that he's letting it happen. He doesn't mm -hmm. want it to happen. He's not encouraging at all. He did try to stop it, although it was a very weak attempt. Um, but I think there's a lot to be said about that kind of behavior. Like it's, yeah. oh, it's yeah. not, it's not the egregious like boys egging each other on and like having like almost like a, a gang rape scenario where mm -hmm. it's like, yeah, yeah, have you have your way with her. Uh, but yeah, the fact that like he let it happen and lied about it. It's like the whole, to me, it's like this boys club where this is how Harvey Weinstein got away with it. Not everybody who was there and like Justin's character, he's not okay with what Bryce is doing, mm -hmm. but Bryce has the power. So right. I'm going to, he makes me popular and he's rich and I live with him. And, mm -hmm. and, and he's done so much for me. He's, and he's my best friend. And, mm -hmm. but, and, and throughout the show, you, you think like, I'm sure there's lots of kids that watched it and thought like, yeah, Bryce, Bryce is a good guy. You should have kept your mouth shut. Mm -hmm. um, and I think what, what's so great about the show is that it does show like, okay, you can take that path, but if you do, like you, it's not going to be that easy. Right. And you might end up with a heroin problem. Well, and yeah. I mean, like and well, that's just, it was so similar to the Harvey Weinstein case because mm -hmm. like everybody knew it was going on. They just turned a blind eye to it because he was a star athlete and rich and his parents donated to the school. And yes. Yeah. And it was just, at. yeah. And it was just like, they, they just, they just let it happen. It's like, well, mm -hmm. I'm not, I'm not the bad guy. I'm not the one doing the rape and doing the assault. Um, I'm just not going to say anything about it mm -hmm. and, and it's so important like there's there's strength in numbers once once one person comes out and then another person comes out all of a sudden it feels safer and like you do have power and you do have a voice what's interesting is like i said last week you know i allowed i never said anything and somebody i knew was assaulted by the same person I was assaulted by. Mm -hmm. And then you find out that there were like five girls in between. So there is something mm -hmm. to be said about that. Like one, you should speak out immediately, but then when you don't, because he is popular or whatever, um, somebody else gets hurt. And I think mm -hmm. that's what they showed in that show. And I think that was important for young girls yeah. to see. Yeah. Well, and then it's not until the second season, but finally Jessica decides to come forward and, you know, report Bryce for date raping her. Mm -hmm. um, and God, it's so painful to watch because, you know, you're sitting there as the viewer and you've seen everything that has happened in the show. Mm -hmm. And to see this poor girl, she's what, like 15 or 16? Yeah, have to, have to go on the stand and be torn apart by the defense. Right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's so it's so hard to watch because it's it's true. It's how it is. It's like if you are not the perfect victim, they are going to find a way to tear you down and discredit mm -hmm. you. 
And, you know, there's a part of me that understands that if you're accusing someone of rape and they could go to jail, of course, it's going to be he said, she said, and they're going to try to make you look bad. Right. I get that. But my God, it makes it so hard to come forward and accuse someone because you've already been traumatized in like one of the worst ways possible. And now not only are you going to have to relive it, but you're going to be picked apart and mm -hmm. made to look like the villain when you're the victim. And, you know, during the break, Greg said something that I, that I thought was interesting. And I said, you know, 10 years ago, I would have answered it differently than I think I would now, but like, putting yourself in that situation. A lot of girls are intoxicated when it happens. And I think the general aspect of that is like, is there some responsibility of the person there? And is it, is that something that we're taught? Like, no, it's not your fault that you got assaulted, but you got drunk and you put yourself in a situation with, with these guys. And so maybe there is some, some, guilt there. You should have known better. And that's basically what my mother said to me. And, and now I think a part of her is right. You know, I put myself yeah. there. I was only 14. Um, but at the same time, I still think they shouldn't, I was asleep. You know, there's a point where they have to know, you know, like, that's just it. It's like, it's absolutely your responsibility to protect yourself as much as possible. Um, but that, that doesn't mean the responsibility falls on you. Like right. if somebody makes the decision to take advantage of a 14 year old girl who's passed out drunk, uh, that is 100% the fault and responsibility of the rapist. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, you have to learn the hard lesson that there are horrible people out there who will take advantage of you. Mm -hmm. um, and, mm -hmm. and I understand, like, of course you're going to feel guilt and responsibility, but that, that doesn't mean it's your fault. You right. know? Right. Yeah. That's very true too. But to the, the public, if I were to have pressed charges, there would have been people that would think that. And I think it's just so common, like the victim thinks it, and so does everybody else, because it is kind of in your mentality. And is that something that we should think? Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like that's because is there some responsibility there? Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. But Not there... Do you, do you, I'm not getting this across well at all. I know I'm No, I, I think I know what you're <laughs> saying, but for some reason, so I'll, I'll just tell you guys a, a short little story. Um, I have a family member who was traveling abroad with her boyfriend and they went to a friend of his house and were served drinks where both of them were drugged 
So the boyfriend was incapacitated and my family member was raped. And it was no fault of either of theirs at all. They went to, they were in a situation where they feel like they could, they felt like they could trust this person. They were completely taken advantage of and, you know, violated. Uh, and another family member, upon hearing this story, said, well, maybe if she didn't dress so promiscuous, uh, so provocatively, that wouldn't have happened to her. I'm sorry, what? I, did, I guarantee it was her they fault didn't. that she was drugged and her husband. No. That no. that was what was said. Um, but I don't wow. think they mean it that way. I don't. I think I think I think it's almost like a when your kid falls down after you told them not to go too fast on their bicycle, right? And your instinct is to be like, "Well, you shouldn't have gone too fast on your bicycle." I almost I, think yes, yes, that is the same kind of mentality that makes yes. somebody say something like mm -hmm. that. Mm -hmm. But we need to stop because yes. in these kind of situations, not only is it not helpful, but it's harmful. Mm -hmm. And and just for context, uh, this family member who made the comment uh, also said, you know, I, I told you guys about my friend in the last episode who was abused yeah. by my dad. Yeah. The same family member said the same thing about her, a 12-year-old girl. If she didn't, if she didn't come over to the house dressed in a swimsuit all the time, it probably wouldn't have happened to her. By oh. the way, we, we had a pool in our backyard, which is why the 12 year old girl would come over in a swimsuit. Um, so that, that, that is a, an absolute, that's a problem. That, that sounds like a person that actually means that like way yeah. horse type of thing. Yeah. Well, and I, th I think a lot of times people who say things like that, it's like um, they probably have those feelings about themselves. Yeah. Like, yeah. like if, if it had happened to them too, mm -hmm. they blame oh. themselves for what happened and then it gets projected onto other people in similar situations. Mm -hmm. And I wonder, Leah, like you had said that your mom yeah, you just confessed to you that yeah. she had been abused. I yeah. wonder if she said to you what she said, you know, like, well, I hope you learned your lesson. I wonder if there's like a little bit of a calloused attitude about it. Cause it's like, well, it happened to me and I blame myself. Uh -huh. So therefore it's like justified that like, yeah. I'm going to put blame on you too. Yeah. You just, mm -hmm. yeah. I never thought about it that way. I, yeah, I wonder. But I, I think it's so pervasive in our society. It is. And I wonder if it is so pervasive because so many women have had it happen to them in some way, shape or form. Right. Greg and I actually got in a really heated conversation uh, where, you know, we had been talking about the, the Harvey Weinstein case and all the women over the decades mm -hmm. who were in the situation. And regardless of whether they went along with it, so that they could advance their career or they said no and were blacklisted. Mm -hmm. We were talking about like, did they have a responsibility to come forward regardless of what decision they made? Because by not coming forward, they allowed the behavior to continue. And I got very upset because I was like, how could you even suggest 
that these women who were like in the presence of someone who had the ultimate power, mm -hmm. how could you, how could you suggest that they're responsible for the behavior continuing? And I won't, I won't even get into the whole conversation we had about it, but mm -hmm. I did say to Greg, I was like, those women probably already blame themselves. That's exactly what so, I was just going to so say. So to even yeah. suggest that they should, or like, sh like, should they feel responsible? It's like, I guarantee they do. And I don't think mm -hmm. we need to, as a society, make them feel any more responsible for what happened to them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I think that's, that's absolutely true. Look, I, I, I felt guilty um, when I found out other people, I can't imagine what Harvey Weinstein's first victim or Bill Cosby's first victim, the guilt they must have felt when woman after woman after woman came out. Um, I, I can't imagine what that would feel like because there has to be that weight on your shoulder. Mm -hmm. There's no way. If I was first, I could have stopped it. Um, yeah. But is there some responsibility? I think the only person that could say that are the victims. Right. The only people that can blame can say whether the first person should have spoke up or not are the people that were victimized after them. And mm -hmm. it's only up for them to decide on how they feel about it. I think there, so the next show we're going to talk about, and I'll go into the, the overview of the show, but I do want to bring this one scene up while we're talking about this. Mm -hmm. Um, this show unbelievable at the very end there's finally a trial of the rapist after they've after they've caught him and one of the victims uh you know the victims are able to come up and you know confront confront the rapist mm -hmm. and make a statement and this one woman it's so heartbreaking she's like this has ruined my life i like they say that people who are attacked um it's it's because they have routines and the attackers can figure out what their routines are and like track them. Mm -hmm. uh, and she's like, I just want to know what was it about me that made you pick me? Uh, what did I do? I need to know what I did that led this horrible thing to happen to me. So even though it was like no fault of her own, all she can think about is what did I do? What mm -hmm. is my responsibility in the situation? Mm -hmm. And just to see like how it tormented her was just, it was so heartbreaking. But let that. I, I, yeah. Let yeah. that sit for a minute. Um, should we take a break? Um, I want to move on. I wanted to let's, let's get into this one. We don't need to talk about it super long. Okay. Um, but uh, the name of the show is unbelievable and it's on netflix uh it was it was a really fantastic show obviously sensitive subject matter but uh i would highly recommend watching it so uh basically the show is about um a rapist who the cops are looking for but the show opens up with this young girl um i'm assuming she's about 18 and she's somebody who has been in the foster care system, uh, but is in like a transition home where, she, you know, they're trying to like get her a job, get her on her feet so she can be a self-sufficient adult. Okay. And the show opens with her 
being raped, calling the cops and having to, you know, tell them, tell them what happened and give them all the details. And the first episode was so powerful and so well done because this Mm -hmm. poor girl, first of all, has the courage to call the cops and report it in the first place. But then they show throughout the episode, first she's telling the, like the, the beat cop who shows up, you know, when, when they call, they send the closest cop. So he shows up and he's (laughs) taking the report down. And after she's retold the entire story to him, then the detectives show up and she has to tell them again. Then she has to go to the hospital to get a rape kit done. And uh, that whole part is pretty graphic and detailed. And just to think about someone who was just raped to then have to be on display in this like clinical setting where you're being poked and prodded and swabbed. And then she has to retell the story to the doctor. Mm-hmm. And then she has to go back into the, to the, um, to the station to tell the detectives again. It's like, yeah, you want to turn the rapist in and you want him to get caught, but you've already lived through this horribly traumatic event and now you're having to relive it over and over and over and over again. And you can't take a shower. You probably smell like them still. You know what Ugh. I mean? Like, I, yeah. I can't imagine. What a, that's, uh, what a horrible thought. But yeah, and and then as she's retelling the story, any little inconsistencies, regardless of how small they are, like the, the order in which events happened, like, well, did you get dressed for first and then call your boyfriend? Or did you call your boyfriend and then get dressed? Because you told us earlier that this was how it happened and now you're telling us this. So now she has these two cops sitting there casting doubt on her version of events. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And then she starts to feel like, wait a second, like I was raped and you guys are not believing me. Mm-hmm. And there is this great scene and it's, it's small and you might not notice it, but the two cops, the two detectives who are interviewing her are both men and they don't completely disbelieve her at this point, although they are starting to question a little bit. Um, and they, they're out of the interrogation room talking to each other. And they're like, do you think she's telling the truth? And they're like, oh, I, I don't know. And then they're like, do you remember that girl who accused her professor of rape a year ago? He's like, oh, yeah, that was a crazy story. And uh, it turned out that she lied. And the professor sued the girl. And the two male cops go, he, he deserved to. He, he should have sued her. And while I completely agree with that, someone who falsely accuses someone of rape should absolutely face repercussions. Mm -hmm. It was so interesting to see the two male cops from the male perspective thinking like I would hate, like I wouldn't want to be falsely accused. So like that was the lens that they were looking through with this girl. Mm -hmm. And then there's other stuff that happens where, you know, I said she was in foster care. She was a troubled girl. One of her foster moms says, you know, she's been acting out recently. Do you Mm -hmm. think that this could possibly be an instance of her like looking for attention? Mm -hmm. And she ends up getting, it's awful. She ends up getting like totally discredited. She ends up putting in a statement saying that she made a false report. Um, All the people in her 
um, her group home who were so supportive of her when she was the rape victim. Once it comes out that she made it up, made it up. She didn't mm-hmm. really. She was like coerced into saying she made it up. She's ostracized. She's kicked out of the group home. She loses her job. Like literally everything falls apart for her. But then meanwhile, there's this whole other storyline going on uh, with these two female cops and they're in different districts. So like they don't even know the cases are related. So there are all these different women from different districts in in like the the Southwest area of the United States. And, And no one is connecting them because the districts don't talk to each other. Uh huh. So just by luck, these two female cops realize that they have almost identical cases, which, surprise, surprise, is identical to what happened to this young girl. And eventually they get the guy and he has evidence of all the girls, like one of his trophies is taking pictures of them. And as they're going through all the pictures of the victims... They know who all they know who all the victims are because they have all the cases, except for this one girl, and it ends up being the girl who had to give the the false, you know, confession that it was um, that that she made a a false rape accusation. Um, But oh god, it was it was so hard to watch all the different women's stories and like what they had to go through when they came forward and the people who disbelieved them and the way it affected their lives. And one, uh, one of the scenes that affected me the most was there was a group of cops out talking about the case, the cases. Uh And this one girl in particular was the only one who didn't actually get raped but the guy had broken in and was like trying to restrain her so that he could rape her. And she ended up jumping out of her second story window to get away from him. And one of the detectives is going over all of the injuries she sustained. And she's like, she fractured, fractured her skull, broke her nose, shattered her pelvis, broke her femur, like, like just horrible physical trauma. And she goes, yeah, but at least she wasn't raped. And I was like, how powerful wow. a statement is that? Mm-hmm. Like, I feel like that's something that a lot of guys probably don't understand where it's like, I, like, I don't want to say like, well, it's like, it's just rape, but it's like, I don't think you understand the level of trauma that is to have someone like truly violate you. Yeah. It's not just a broken bone. It doesn't just hurt Heal. until it heals. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's something that you carry around with you for the rest of your life. Mm-hmm. And it affects every intimate relationship. Yes. Not, yes. not, not just like, like physically intimate, any mm-hmm. kind of like friendships, but especially, yeah. you know, sexually intimate for sure. One of the girls who was a victim, uh, you know, at the beginning, she has a boyfriend who she lives with and they seem fine and he's really supportive of her. And she ends up meeting up with one of the female detectives later on in the episode, uh, later on in the show. And she and her boyfriend have broken up and she's someone who used to be like really religious and conservative. And she's like, I don't know what's wrong with me. I've been hooking up with random guys. I never do stuff like this. Uh, And you can just 
she was such a great actress. She just seemed so broken and like lost. Like I'm not who I was. I don't know who I am anymore. I don't even know what I'm doing. I don't know where this behavior is coming from. And I just, I thought they did such a great job in that show, uh, really showing the lasting effects of, mm-hmm. of what happens when you're, when you're raped. Yeah. Well, on that note, um, I think we all need to take a little break and, I uh, think so too. yeah. Um, so thank you for sticking with us. We have, uh, two more shows that we're going to talk about when we come back from break. Um, but for now, enjoy these commercials and we'll be back shortly. Okay. Round two, name something that's not boring. A laundry. Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Full work limited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome back to The Ever-Evolving Truth. And we are here talking about rape culture in the media. Um, And we just had a really heavy segment. And now we're going to talk to you about a TV show that is literally based on rape. So I hope you enjoy it. Um, (laughs) (laughs) We are going to talk about The Handmaid's Tale right now. And then we are going to end this episode with a show called The Tale. Um, It's a it's a film, actually, and it's based on a true story. So keep that in mind when Abby does tell you about it. It's it's trigger warning. I'm going to give it to you now because that one is really hard. Yes. Um, But let's talk about something lighter. Um, Let's talk about adult rape. And (laughs) (laughs) I feel bad even laughing at that. I know. right? That was horrible. Um, So. If you have not heard of of The Handmaid's Tale, um, Courtney, you have not watched it yet, right? No, not yet. Okay, so the basic premise is the show opens. It's one of those shows where our story starts where our story starts. It starts in the middle of you have no idea what's going on. Um, And the very first scene is is a girl in a red dress um, praying, and then she's brought into a room, and there's a ceremony going on of some kind and there's some like monologue. She's laying in between this woman's legs while the woman holds her down. The husband comes in and rapes the woman in between the wife and the husband. Um, The wife is positioned on the bed with her legs open and the victim, we will call her or handmaid um, is laying in between the, the woman's legs and the man is standing up at the end of the bed and he's supposed to be looking at his wife because this is a dystopian America where there is, you find out later that there was some sort of genetic, I guess, pandemic, I'm not really sure, that causes infertility um, in men and women, but more specifically in men um, but the women are barren also. And it's like an alarming rate where like the birth rate has almost dropped off. Yeah, it's really bad. So these um, like 
religious people who end up overthrowing the United States government Mm -hmm. are convinced that the reason there's this infertility pandemic is because, you know, God is displeased and we've turned away from God and they've decided Mm -hmm. to exert control back over the country and bring them back to, you know, a wholesome godly lifestyle. Right. So they have handmaids that wear bonnets and they all wear red, like the scarlet letter. Um, There's levels of society, um, but they basically focus on this one character. Her name is um, in the show. It's, it's June Osborne. Um, However, I don't, correct me if I'm wrong, but it's been a while since I read it, but the book, I believe you don't find out what her name is. She's always off read. Right. So, so talk about Offred and where that comes from. So this is very interesting throughout the book and the first season of the show, they keep calling her Offred and you, I thought it was, I was like, that's an interesting name. Um, And the way that they're dressed, the, the handmaids are very like Amish. So I thought it was like a German name. Like Mm -hmm. I really, especially when I was reading the book and then um, you come to find out that her commander which is that is what the men are called in these high-ranking families. Um, Her commander's name is Fred Waterford. So the handmaid no longer has her name and they switch every um, six weeks, I believe it is. um, If they don't get pregnant, they just keep switching them. Mm -hmm. And then they can stay because they don't want anyone to get attached. So what happens is these women... Um, are given to the barren families of these military captains and the man rapes basically the, the handmaid because the handmaid is fertile and they bring a baby into the family and then they're sent to a different commander to pump out another baby for someone else. Mm-hmm. Um And they stay there and nurse the baby, but the baby is not theirs. And they're not even given their own names. Um, They have the name of the man, not even the last name. It's off Fred. Of Um, Joseph. You know, they, you you see all the different handmaids have, have the name of, you know, their, where they're stationed. Um, And yeah, they're, they're completely stripped of their identity even down to their name like their name denotes the uh, the ownership over them um and they literally live and exist to reproduce they're they're forced surrogates for these families um and they have absolutely no rights no identity nothing uh and one of the really interesting things in the show too is as horrible as the experiences of the handmaids Mm -hmm. when they start to get into the stories of some of the other characters the wives have it a little bit better because they're not being raped um but they have absolutely no power either they're not even allowed to read no not even the bible there's a there's a spoiler alert um they um have the Serena Waterford read the Bible in front of a committee and her own husband cuts her finger off Mm -hmm. because that's the punishment for doing that. Mm -hmm. Um, 
so this is a society where feminism is a thing of the past. Um, but I think it, it was scary and terrifying. And, and Greg asked if it's a lot of people think that, you know, the handmaid's tale is not a far off vision. Well, I, you and Jeff have both said that on other yeah. episodes of the show. Mm-hmm. And I, I stand by if I see Mike Pence's wife wearing green more than like once <laughs> in public, I'm out. Like, Canada, <laughs> here I come, not fucking around. But well, I, I said on one of the episodes, Leah, you unfortunately weren't on it, but we were talking about the Texas abortion ban. Mm-hmm. And Jeff had said, you know, it's literally turning into the handmaid's tale. And I said, that I thought he was being hyperbolic. And I do, I stand by that. But I absolutely understand the emotional response to it because, you know, The Handmaid's Tale is the most extreme version where women are property, they have no rights, you're not even allowed to read, to educate yourselves. Mm-hmm. Anytime we even get a whiff of that and feel like things are moving in that direction, even if it's a tiny tick, in that direction it's scary because like this this is fictional it's fictional but uh margaret atwood she's the author right she is yes she has envisioned this fictional world where it's like if we took that mentality to the farthest extremes this is what it would look like so anytime we feel like things are moving that in that direction where women's rights are being stripped away, no matter how small, it's like, well, how long until until it is The Handmaid's Tale? So this is a little off topic, but um, in season two, they show you how, so in the books, you never find out how Gilead became Gilead um, in the first book. I, I haven't read the second one, but um, but you do in the show, you get to see it. And what it was, was a bunch of people broke into the Capitol building and killed Congress. Mm -hmm. And when the January 6th insurrection happened, I got a little bit scared. Mm -hmm. Um, So do I think that it's going to happen within the next few years? Probably not. Um, do Do I fear it happening in my lifetime? Absolutely. In my kid's lifetime? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I do. Well, and it's, they, they show more than that in the show. Um, and it is like the slow stripping away of rights. I remember, yeah, well, I remember, I remember the one scene June goes to a coffee shop with um, uh, Moira mm-hmm. and her card gets declined. Yes. And it's it's because it like it needed to be her husband's card or her husband had to be there to pay for it. But like she couldn't have her own card anymore. And it was that message of like, there might be small things happening that aren't concerning to you right now. Mm -hmm. And maybe if you're married, it's like, well, I'm married. Like, it's fine. My husband can take care of it. It's okay if his is the name on the account. He'll give me he'll give me what I need. Mm -hmm. But when little things like that start happening and if people are complacent, that's when more and more and more power can be grabbed until when you, when you see it reach its, its end, it's um, too late. 
it's way too late. Or and- it's too far for anyone to stop at this point. Because I think right. the other, there's another scene they show, they show a couple. The best one for me is when she has to have her husband sign for her birth control pills. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> he has to actually sign and they joke about it. Like, he's like, oh, this is so ridiculous. And she's like, um, oh, you know, they just make a joke about it. Like, it's no big deal. And mm-hmm. then they cut to her being in uh, Fred's house. Yes. You know? like, so you get that, that, that back and forth. And they, and she was protesting and they, they show them fighting. So can it happen? Yeah. I think, I, I think it can. And I, I think there's a lot of people in this country that would want it to happen. I think. Mm-hmm women's rights is i don't know it's it's one of those things people don't and not enough has changed it's hard too and and uh if you watch the show you find out that serena waterford um who is fred waterford's wife was one of the architects of this society called gilead mm-hmm. that they live in um she helped create it she was a main advocate for it she wrote she wrote books on it a woman yes. who ends up getting her finger cutting off for reading aloud mm-hmm. wrote, wrote book. the book on Gilead. Mm-hmm. And it's just so interesting to think like there are women who say that they're okay with things like this happening. And then once you find yourself in the situation and you realize you truly are powerless, mm-hmm. all of a sudden it's like, fuck, what, what did I get myself into? I have literally no power. You know, Mm -hmm. I thought my husband was going to protect me. I thought my husband was going to advocate for me. But guess what? You've created the society where you have rendered yourself powerless. Mm -hmm. And it's, uh, it it is, I I agree. It is scary to see the parallels to what is happening in society right now. So Um, are you, are you caught up with it? Because there's one. I've seen all of it. Okay. There's Are, one specific part I think we want to talk about, but you yes. go ahead. No, okay. I was going to bring this up. Um, okay, so ahead. so we have talked about, and there are so many scenes where June and other handmaids are raped by their commanders. Mm-hmm. It happens throughout the entire series. It's hard to watch. Um, but there is one scene in particular where the tables end up getting flipped Mm-hmm. And Leah, I want you to talk about it because you're the one who had initially brought the scene up. Um, but it was, I, I, I want to talk about this one. I, I am rarely like really um, triggered by something like something will make me like sad, emotionally triggered. But this one was like, I, I don't know. I just felt really gross and really odd. So she, June, um, Spoiler alert, if you're not caught up, stop listening right now because this is huge. This is the end of the big reveal in the latest season, um, season three. She gets out of Gilead and she has to leave her daughter, which is a whole separate story. And she ends up back with her husband. Um, And a few things happen. She still, Nick, who is the, she does end up having a, Interestingly enough, she does end up having a child, quote unquote, for the Waterfords. However, that child is not um, the commander's because he was impotent. 
So, or not impotent, but infertile. So um, they secretly did this thing where she has sex with their driver. They fall in love. So she has a relationship with him and she comes back and is with her husband um, and this baby. So the baby wasn't the Waterford. So they were able to get the baby out. So this, this husband is raising this baby that she has with another guy that she was in love with. And he kind of knows that. So there's this weird tension, but she was also, you know, brutally raped for years. So he's very gentle and calm with her. And, and June, June developed this, she kind of became the villain this season. And I think there was a lot of really good in it. June has been kind of our hero of the story. Um, and she's angry now that she's safe, which I thought was such a beautiful turn. Mm-hmm. Um, how angry she got and how, but she won't break down. Um, and there is a scene where right beforehand she gets some really bad news and she just feels like she's being kind of beat down. Um, and she wants to fight back. She goes in the house and she's with her husband and she starts kissing him and, and she takes him up to the bedroom because she had not let him touch her up to this point. And now she's ready. And she takes him up to the bedroom and they start fooling around and she starts getting really kind of rough, really aggressive, aggressive, kissing yeah. him, biting him, um, very aggressive. And he keeps telling her to stop and she doesn't. And she pulls off his, and she rapes him. She she full on rapes her husband. The scene was uncomfortable to watch. Mm-hmm. It was actually the most graphic rape scene I think I have ever seen. Um, because it was so emotional. Yes, mm-hmm. it was. It was, and and you actually like get a lot of rape scenes. They cut to faces and stuff. You're seeing her on him and. Yeah. Pushing with anger. There was, I hadn't, I still don't think I know how I feel about it. Like it was horrible and it was, I can't, I don't know. I, it was weird. I, it's the best way to, icky. It, it, uh, it remind. well, it was, uh, you have this person who has been a captive for years. She has felt powerless she has felt used and abused and victimized. And now that she's free, it's like she does like she doesn't even know how to act anymore. And in this right. moment, I felt like um, she finally felt like she had power and control again. And she pushed it over the edge where mm-hmm. she became the rapist. The rapist. And I think it was very similar uh you know, to, to people who have been like child abuse victims. Yeah. Then growing up to become abusers because it is that role of like, when you, when you have felt powerless and like you have no control over yourself and your situation, as soon as you have the chance to be in control of a situation, it's easy for you to take it too far because Mm -hmm. that's the, that's the interaction that you've known. Right. And yeah, that scene was. 
And there's so many scenes with them afterwards. There's because it happens towards the end of the season. And I was really curious to see where they're going to go with it. And I, I am watching these scenes and looking at her in the same way that I looked at Fred Waterford. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm looking at her husband the way I looked at her. And, and he has those facial, facial like she's, the, the, like in the first season where she says, like, you know, smile, pretend you like it. And, right. And he looks at her afterwards, they're outside playing with the baby, and he's scared of her. Mm -hmm. He is genuinely scared of her. And I think that was such a, you got so much of his feeling in that mm -hmm. moment because you don't expect a man to like be raped like I I was a and a definitely an adult before I even could fathom that a woman could rape a man yeah well and you know what what she goes through in the show is so horrific mm -hmm. but I think it speaks a lot to the idea that like when you go through a trauma like that it does change you forever mm -hmm. and in her case her own husband was like scared of her. I don't even know who you are anymore. Her mm -hmm. friends were like, you're so angry. Like, why can't you try to be at peace? Why do you need revenge? And her uh, friends that were also in Gilead. Yes. Handmaids. Like, yes. they're feeling that way, which was interesting. Yeah, but you can just, man, what a great actress she is. The Some of her expressions, some of her acting, the hatred that you can yes. see come through. It's so powerful. Oh, and yeah. it's, you know, you, you understand it. I mean, I know you said that you start to look at her as kind of a villainous character or like an anti-hero, but, anti -hero. but yeah. you, you also are like, would I be that person if I went through that? The very end, which, yeah, the very end, which I won't give away. <laughs> I, I would totally do that. I wanted to do yes. it too. Yes. I wanted to be a part of it. I didn't care how brutal that scene was the whole uh -uh. time. I was like goosebumps. Like, yeah, yes. me too. Me yeah. Too. Yeah. Me that was, uh, you guys are convincing me. I, I, I'm going to have to watch this show now. You absolutely really, should watch it. You but you know, be, we I'd were, I'd to get your political view on it. Yeah. I want to see what you think about it politically. Yeah. Interesting. But yeah, that, that scene at the end, you know, we've talked about all these instances where like, women who do come forward are made to be the the villain um and re-victimized and doubted and questioned and torn apart the end of the handmaid's tale i was like yeah i was like that's not the way we should seek justice but i was like that was like the ultimate justice for all the instances where women get no justice and are made to feel even worse i think any woman watching that that is why you're sitting there cheering for it yeah oh you're yeah like, that's absolutely true without a doubt uh-huh yeah uh, yeah, Courtney, watch it. <laughs> we need to we need to talk about it. All right, um, I'm gonna watch it. Adding it to the list. Yes. Now the uh, next one, I don't think you should watch. I think you should just let Abby summarize it and just have it in your memory. Because yeah, I think so too. It's yeah, still with me. This one won't go away. Yeah, this is this is a hard one to talk about. So I will I will take the burden. Um, 
So I just happened to stumble across this movie and I almost wish I hadn't watched it, although I think it'll be good for us to talk about. Uh Um, So this movie is called The Tale and it stars Laura Dern and she is playing the filmmaker who made the film, The Tale. Uh, So it's, it is a fictional, but it's like, it's an autobiography based on true events. It's her telling of what happened to her. Um, but the premise of the movie is, uh, this woman is, she, 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 something comes up where she is forced to face and relive abuse that happened to her when she was a child. So when she was 13, she ended up going to this horse riding camp over the summer, Um, And there was a woman who owned the horse riding camp. And then there was a man who was there as like a a coach and and a trainer. And she basically like developed a relationship with both of them. And as a 13 year old girl, she felt like she had autonomy in the situation. She felt like she was an active and willing participant. Um, And as you're watching these scenes happen, you see the grooming, you see the manipulation. um, And she, she was raped at the time. She didn't think she was, um, but these two adults groomed her and manipulated her and raped her. Uh, And one of the scenes that I thought was the most powerful was towards the beginning um she is she is uh in her mind you know the audience watching the show gets to see how she is remembering what happened and the actress who's playing the young version of her she definitely is young like she looks like a teenager but she looks like she's maybe 15 or 16 pubescent you know like becoming a woman so still creepy But later on, she's at her mom's house and sees a picture of herself from when she was 13. And all of a sudden, every scene going forward where she's remembering things that happened to her, now she is forced to see herself as she was in that picture. And she is a child, like prepubescent. She almost looks like a skinny little boy. She is a child. Mm-hmm. And I there were I had so many, so many feelings and thoughts about this, but one of the big ones was there there should not be a statute of limitations on no. statutory rape. Because here is this adult woman who has convinced herself. This is why it's called the tale. It's the tale she has told herself about what happened to her her version of what she has convinced herself. Once she's confronted with the facts and starts really thinking about how young she was and how she was manipulated and how the people who were supposed to be taking care of her and watching over her became her abusers, she went from thinking that she had this like special relationship with these two people to realizing that she was a victim in the situation Mm-hmm. And it was so powerful. Uh, she she really breaks down emotionally. You get to see her her real, 
Like she is <laughs> reeling um, as this realization hits her that like at first she's like, there's, there's a scene where she says, I'm not a victim when she's fighting with her boyfriend who's mm -hmm. just trying to, he's like, this is the guy you had a relationship with. Like you were 13. Mm -hmm. This guy's like, he was 36. Like, yeah. not cool. Um, and she snaps and it's actually her fiance and she throws him out. Um, that scene when she's like, I am not a victim. Mm -hmm. I am, how dare you? And that, um, I can, I've, I've actually had that happen. I mean, not to that extent. I didn't mm -hmm. freak out and yell, but like the first person that told me that said the words, like he, that you were raped. Like that mm -hmm. wasn't, you weren't, that's not how you lost your virginity. That's how you were raped. Right. Um, I got angry and upset. And it took me a really long time to come to that realization. And I thought they portrayed that so well. Mm -hmm. um, but I think that I never thought about it from that aspect. Like, like I, I thought I was a willing participant in this one act. But how many young girls thought yeah, I was, that was my first love. This well, was my so first love. There, there's a scene where... And now it's an it's an imagined scene, but the adult version of the woman is having like this fake argument conversation with her 13 year old self. Mm -hmm. And the 13 year old, you know, she's asking like, like, why did you do it? Why? Like, why are you going? Don't go. And, you know, we've we've all been there. We've all been teenage girls. It's like, I want to do it. Don't tell me what's right yes. for me. I can make my own decisions. They respect me. They treat me like an adult. They think I can, they think I'm smart enough to do what's right for me. And I actually, Leah, I was thinking about your girls, you know, yeah. Yeah. Nina, Nina is 11, uh, she, only two years younger, but she looks older than she is. She mm -hmm. is so precocious and outgoing. Mm -hmm. uh, and I can just imagine her or somebody like her being in a situation like that where it's like, you know, I know my mind. I know what I want to do. I want to do this. Mm -hmm. And one of, the, one of the things that I thought was so great, too, was the guy who they cast as the, the rapist, this, mm -hmm. this uh, trainer, he he's way too old <laughs> to be engaging with this 13 year old girl, but he's not a creepy old man. No. He is this young, fit, incredibly handsome 36 year old man. And what 13 year old girl isn't going to have a crush on that guy? So, of course, if you're a 13 year old girl and you have a crush on this guy and he's treating you like a mature woman, treating you like an adult, asking you what your opinions are on things. It is so flattering for a young girl like that to be getting that kind of attention from an older man. And if it's an older man that you're attracted to, it would be so easy to convince yourself that like, of course, of course I want this. Of course I was willing. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's why it was so powerful to have her look back on her own experience and be forced to revisit it through a different lens mm -hmm. and see the situation for what it was. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It, it, it was such a, a brilliant way to do it. And I think the mom too, like, I think it's interesting because you said like my girls, like, how do you avoid 
that young girl falling into that trap. Mm-hmm. And and this goes back to the responsibility thing. Like, were her parents semi-responsible for allowing her to leave the house that night with with this 36-year-old man who brought flowers to the mom? Mm-hmm. And but, she know, even said, like, I, like I felt it in my stomach that there was something not right. But she let her go. Like, yeah. That's, that's, that's terrifying as a parent. Like, how do you trust anybody? You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like, and, and how do you know, especially it, because the, I think the truth is most girls would think that this was in this day and age, you know, they're listening to the WAP. So yeah. what does it matter if this, this handsome man wants to pay attention to me and he's going to treat me like a grown up and my parents don't? That's yeah, and, you know, I, she she said that she was the oldest of four or five siblings mm-hmm. and uh, said at one point, like, oh, you know, they wouldn't even notice if I was missing, you know, yeah. like she yeah. wasn't getting any attention at home. Her parents' hands were full with all the other younger kids. Mm-hmm. So now she has these two, they're adults, but they're young, attractive adults giving her all their attention mm-hmm. and treating her as an equal. And when you watch it as an adult and you can like, they're snakes, you can see what they're doing. You can see the manipulation. You can see how they're grooming her. And it is so disturbing to watch. And you just, you want to like reach through the screen and be like, like run, like, yes, don't like, don't fall for it. Like we can see what they're doing. Um, And she's just there a helpless child who doesn't understand what's going on. And ugh. what I thought was great too, is the scene where they bring in, there's this like other girl who was like 19 or 20, I guess. Mm-hmm. Right. So she was in like a, a polyamorous relationship with this man and woman. Right. And she worked for them. So still icky and still a little weird, but she's 20, mm-hmm. right? Like if she's legal, but then they, they, they bring up that there was supposed to be a threesome or a, a foursome, yeah. right? Yes. With this girl, this 20 year old girl. And you, you, you find out slowly that this 20 year old girl was also part of the grooming process in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, I was curious to see what you thought about that because a piece of me was like, you should know better, but also the girl, the 20 year old girl. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But also a little like, but I kind of forgive you cause you were only 20 and you were put in a position to like, you're a victim too. Right. How did you feel about that with that girl? Well, I think when you look at the whole story of Laura Dern's character, I mean, she's a woman who's in her 40s or like late 40s. 48, who, I think. Yeah, who, who has like to, to the day until she's faced, uh, forced to confront what happened, has convinced herself that like nothing, nothing bad happened. Right. Like she, she was a willing participant. So I have to imagine that this 20-year-old girl felt the same way. Right. Like, like well, I, I want to be here. This is consensual. So she probably didn't 
understand what was wrong with it either. Yeah. So that's, that's where my problem lies. Like, so legally, let's say this did go to court immediately. It's, it's, you find out goes to court. That 20 year old girl is, is a perpetrator of that because she's an adult and this is a child and you should know better. Um, and I think we'll talk about statutory rape at some point, but I think like it kind of falls in there where like, she's not that much older. Like when I was in high school, um, my senior year, I had a friend that was 17 that slept with a teacher. Now he was like 27, 28. He was a new teacher mm-hmm. at the time. I didn't think it was a big deal. Now I do. So like, that is the question. Like if it were my 17 year old kid mm-hmm. sleeping with a 28 year old, I would lose my shit. Mm-hmm. So like, they kind of brought that into it too. And I, I just don't know, like, are you victimizing a child if you're still kind of a child too? I, I think that there is legitimacy in what you're saying. Um, but I also think about like um, you know, what happened with Jeffrey Epstein and how he would, well, Ghislaine Maxwell would go out and recruit these young girls but then they would turn the girls into recruiters. Yes. And right. even though like they're committing a crime and victimizing other girls, if you were a victim first, yeah, like I, I do think that you have responsibility. Um, but I like, I feel like there has to be some understanding that like, you know, you don't have full control over what you were doing because yeah. of because of what you were put through. Yeah, I agree with you. And I think even in that scene, that's another moment where you see her get she tries to deny it at first. She's like, oh no, I don't I don't know what you're talking about, which kind of made me feel like she did know it was Icky. Mm-hmm. And and she still continued to do it. And then they show you a flashback and you see how she cut just for a brief second, but she kind of plays with her hair and she looks up at the guy and he kind of is telling her what to say too. Mm -hmm. Um, I think probably as she became an adult, she realized it was wrong. But I don't think in the moment she knew. I really don't think she knew in the moment. Well, and as you saw throughout, throughout that movie, and as we've talked about with our own experiences, sometimes when you look back, on a situation years later, you see it completely differently because the context has changed. So maybe in the moment and maybe for the years leading up to the confrontation that they had, um, she didn't think it was a big deal. She didn't think she did anything wrong or had convinced herself that she didn't. But then as an adult, looking back on the situation, being forced to see it for what it was, then all of a sudden it's like, Oh my God, I like, I did do something horrible. I Mm -hmm. am guilty, Mm -hmm. but it's so complicated with, with kids and young people. That's a thing. And maybe we should talk about this on the round table, but I don't know if that's an argument in a way, both for and against um, statute of limitations, because, you know, maybe because like, your perspective does change as you get older, which one 
is really the truth. Were you a victim in this situation? I'm not talking about statutory rape, like Mm. maybe a sexual encounter that five years later you aren't comfortable with, but you were in that moment. Is it rape five? Were you a victim five years later? Mm -hmm. I don't know. And well, I think that's why so often these things don't even get reported Mm -hmm. because you do have to grapple with, was I a victim? Wasn't I a victim? Was this, what did this person commit a crime or was it just maybe inappropriate and poor judgment Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and having to bring it before a court, you know, file a report, bring it, bring it before a court, um, go through that whole process. If there is even a little doubt in your mind about what did or didn't happen. You're not going to do it. You're not going to do it. Mm -hmm. You're not going to do it. Mm -hmm. You're absolutely right. But yeah, that was a that was a really hard one to watch. Uh, I watched it months ago. Leah was a trooper and watched it so that we could talk about it on this episode. And then I tried rewatching it and only got about halfway through. So uh, it's a great movie. If you're up for watching it, I highly recommend it. But just know it's it's a hard one. It's really hard. Yeah, like trigger warning. There are scenes where he is trying to get himself inside and it is a grown man you're watching a grown man mimic sex with a child you are um it's done tastefully and it's not in i i didn't in any way feel that it was it's icky but not in not in like the Cersei and, and Jamie icky it's a different it, it's a purposeful it, icky. yes it was icky because they wanted you to feel icky. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, on, on that note, we do have to wrap up, um, but we are going to have one more episode in this series. That's going to be a round table discussion where we bring the guys in Jeff, Greg and Mounts are going to join us. um, And we're going to get some feedback from them on what we talked about on the last two episodes and also, you know, get their opinions on what rape looks like to them and their ideas about consent and just kind of see where like the men and women meet or clash uh, and, you know, hash, hash those discussions out. Um, So please join us next week. It's going to be another really great conversation. Um, And thanks for joining us tonight. Yeah. Should we do a fuck you? Yeah. Fuck you rapists. (laughs) Did you do that last week? I think last week was Greg Abbott. (laughs) Don't care. Just cut that out, Greg. <laughs> oh, so I think we should just just fuck you, rapists. Yeah. Fuck you, all right. Fuck you. <laughs> fuck you, rapists. <laughs> you suck. <laughs>